0: the Evology Impact Series podcast, sharing the inspiration and success of social entrepreneurs and changemakers around the world. My name is Olivia Du, and we're honored to have Sarah Burje, the Executive Director of Nanibai Education Foundation, here with us today. Good afternoon, Sarah. How are you today?
1: Doing well, Olivia. I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Um, maybe we can start with a short overview of Bai's programs and goals?
1: Sure. So the Nanibai Education Foundation was founded in 2004 by Raj Shah, the son of a man who'd grown up in India and who, because of his access to a high-quality education, um, which was from a principal called Nanubai Nayak, which is who we're named after, his father was able to be successful, and Raj really wanted to spread that out um, to other students in rural India to honor Principal Nanubai's memory. So we've had a couple different programs over the years, but our flagship program is the Nanubai Scholars which sends financially vulnerable, academically successful young women from rural India to college. Uh, and we have a lot of goals for this program. The most obvious one is socioeconomic mobility and stability for these girls and their families who are overwhelmingly from historically marginalized groups. But some of the broader impacts are that we really wanna change how rural India perceives girls' education. Uh, and in a decade, we'd like to have thousands of non scholars and non graduates in India.
0: That's awesome. Um, I know in light of like, current events like, for example, COVID, um, everything has changed around the world. How are Nanabai students and their families dealing with the situation given the unprecedented lockdown in India? So I've been pleasantly surprised
1: with how our Nanabai scholars and their families have been dealing with the situation. I think I knew how resilient the scholars were, but I didn't fully appreciate how well that would translate into this situation. So. Overwhelmingly, they're living in uh, large multi-generational homes in small villages and in rural Indian farming communities. So we have WhatsApp groups where we stay connected and share information and support each other. And I'm getting all these beautiful, you know, videos of, oh, I was helping my grandmother harvest onions or my sister and I made art or I I tutored my cousins so that they wouldn't fall behind in their math. Um, so you know, in so many ways, it's just like what we're doing here in the States, connecting with family, making food, staying busy with art. But a lot of our scholars have overcome challenges to access their education that are sort of unimaginable to people in the West. Uh, A lot of them have had to go to special boarding schools after they graduate from seventh grade because there is no junior high or high school in their town. Uh, We have girls who have to wade through rivers to get to school during the monsoon season. So there's definitely uh, a lot of really smart, strong, resilient young women, and we're seeing that in how they're dealing with this crisis.
0: Um, How do you think COVID is impacting student education? And what do you think are the potential longer term implications of this?
1: So this is a question I also grapple with a lot in my day job. I'm in a semi-administrative position at a school district in rural Vermont, where I'm from, and Nobody knows is the short answer. Uh, We really don't know what this could look like down the road, but because Nanubai has worked internally to have a culture of collaboration and flexibility, I feel like we're ready for whatever happens. So in the short term, um, you know, colleges are shut down. There is some online learning taking place and our scholars are able to access that from home on their smartphones, which is awesome. But it does look like the fall, uh, opening of colleges in India is possibly going to be delayed, but because Nanubai's program cycle follows the school year, whatever that school year looks like, we'll be ready for it.
0: That's so interesting. Um, like, I know that there are several different challenges, like, as you say, for example, schools reopening and whether or not they're going to reopen. How do you think Nanubai should react to support the community, and how do you plan on supporting the community?
1: So we initially had conversations about what lockdown would look like, I think, a little earlier than some nonprofits who might just be based in India, because we saw it was happening in the States and said, oh, we better get ready for this. And we had anticipated that scholars and their families were going to need support around getting food. Uh, And then it transpired that for most of them, that wasn't actually the case. The government provided food or they were on farms. And so we've made a small pivot. And with the help of some generous donors, we're actually also handing out food to the neediest in the communities that we serve. So uh, we've reacted to say, oh, we, we see this need in our communities and even though it's not our main mission, this is how we're going to support our communities. And there's another facet on that that I think speaks to our ability to like reflect and collaborate internally. You'll see a lot of pictures of nonprofits in India handing out food, like prepared food We're handing that out, but we're also handing out raw goods. So somebody who does have access to a stove, somebody who doesn't have access to a stove, we're making sure that both those groups are supported. And we we have had some scholars and families alert us to, like, you know, my neighbor is elderly. She could really use some help. And we're making sure that people get what they need
0: we um, last featured Nanuubii on a podcast two years ago, and it's truly incredible to see your program scale and grow. What do you think have been the major updates and changes that have taken place since then?
1: Wow, I can't believe it's only been two years. It feels like a lot of updates. Um, <laughs> I think that one thing we've seen really gathering steam, especially in the past uh, ten months to a year, is just more people wanting to be involved with Nanubai people reaching out to us and saying, hey I'd, I'd love to collaborate on a research project. I'd love to help you improve your social media. I'd love to volunteer. What do you need? How can we help? And that kind of uh, just you know burgeoning of interest in working with Nanubai has led to the most exciting update in my opinion, which is that we were able to capture data about our graduates. So like we said, it's wonderful that they go to college, but the reason we send them to college is so they have this socioeconomic mobility and you know i think they finished up uh these two wonderful volunteers came and they finished up their research in like november so they were just in the nick of time but we finally had researchers in the same place as a big enough sample size of graduates so we can say with certainty that our graduates quadruple their family's income within a year Mm -hmm. of graduation so i always really believed that that was going to be the case, but now we have some hard data proving it. So that feels like the biggest success to me in addition to just a lot of interest and a lot of volunteering all over the organization.
0: Uh, We really admire the ability for you guys to find like data, as well as your commitment to transparency and impact, and it's tremendous to see your scholars succeed in fields of medicine, engineering, education, computer science, among other disciplines. Can you please tell us a bit more about the findings of the recent program outcomes analysis?
1: Sure. So our two volunteers, Chaitali and Aditi, are both NRI who are living in the state. So they were really well positioned to understand where our scholars were coming from, but also understand... Uh, what a Western-style job market might look like. So the scholars are on average quadrupling their family's income within a year of graduation, as I said, and the average family income is about $1.11 per day. So it's a significant change. Uh, Our research also found that it's probably closer to quintupling their family's income because a lot of graduates are getting benefits that I didn't even know Existed like a bus pass to get to and from work, uh, a stipend for food, living quarters at the hospital where they're a nurse. So there's a lot of additional benefits besides salaries. Uh, and we also got feedback that we need to really focus on making sure there's a, a smooth transition for our scholars into jobs. Um, you know, overwhelmingly they're getting jobs, but one question that this research brought up was. Are they getting the best job they could? some of them, I think, might feel compelled to take the first job they get so they can support their family, so a long term goal of mine would be to really have a robust alumni network just like you would have for a sorority in the states and have scholar graduates help other scholars um, achieve even bigger goals after they graduate. but you know quadrupling your family's income <laughs> is pretty wonderful
0: yeah. um we think that like um, like NAMIVA is doing an amazing job. There's so many different successes, and this also means that there's a tremendous demand for your scholarships. You can discuss how like selection criteria has evolved throughout the years and the type of students that are usually awarded with this life-changing grant.
1: Sure. So this is this is the part of the the process that I find the hardest to do mm-hmm. because we do have so much demand. Um, we'll have anywhere from 420 to I think this year on track to have 475 applications mm-hmm. for 60 spots. So to put that in perspective, it's harder to get into our program than it is to get into UCLA and about as hard as it is to get into Cornell. Oh,
0: wow. So
1: it's a really, really uh, you know, a lot of people want to go to college and we can only offer 60 scholarships. So that means that we have to take a lot of care in the process by which we select applicants. So we've done a lot of fine tuning over the years. Broadly speaking, we're weighting academic merit and financial need. But obviously in practice, it's much more complex than that. So we were really lucky to have a great volunteer, uh, Ryan, who is getting his master's in public policy. And he went to India over two subsequent summers, studied our application process, and had suggested some tweaks that we did implement. So when we're talking about financial need, we want big statements. We want a copy of your electricity bill. We take into account how many cows you have. Do you have a computer? Do you have a TV? Do you live in a traditional cob house or in a cement house? Because um, a lot of the ways that we think about wealth in the West don't perfectly translate to India. So we have to look at a broader set of factors to determine financial need. And we do also take into account things like caste and tribal status. About 66% of the scholars are from so called scheduled tribes and scheduled castes, historically oppressed groups. We don't weight that super, super heavily. Uh, and we also take into account things like disabilities and if a student is missing one or more parents. So I would say a typical scholar, um, I'm thinking of one I met, RuPaul, eldest daughter of a single mother, her mother worked as a maid. The family had very minimal income uh, and she had gotten really really great scores on her 10th 11th and 12th board exams which are end of the year exams and that's what we use to determine academic merits we kind of you know process everyone through that very quantitative hard numbers and then we do have an interview process and In the interview process where we'll interview about um probably about 200 of the total applicants maybe 160 And there we're looking more for uh, some of those harder to define qualities, like, is this person articulate? Does this person interact well with others? Do we think that they're going to be able to handle leaving their family and going to a college maybe several hundred kilometers away? So, but I would say, you know, there's girls who don't even make it to the interview stage who are incredibly deserving. So making those cuts is quite a challenge every year, but I feel really good that we have an objective system to kind of make those hard decisions for us.
0: Um, You mentioned a lot about how like India's cultural environment is different. Um, What do you think are the major obstacles to girls continuing on in higher education? And what do you think Nanubai can do or can be done in general to help overcome these barriers?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I wanna preface that with saying, you know, I I lived in India for two years and I have my own perspective on it, but I am certainly not the authority on that question, although it's Mm -hmm. something I think about a lot. There's a couple different barriers. One of them is just historical attitudes towards education uh, and towards girls' education. And we can even see the difference in those attitudes in our two operating areas. Like we're in Gujarat and we're also in Rajasthan. And in Rajasthan, there's definitely less access to K 12 education for girls compared to Gujarat. So things like what age should sh- someone get married at?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that impacts those attitudes. Um, and then there's definitely families who really want their female relatives to go to college and perceive it as important and just don't have the funds. And one thing we discovered when we were in the early days of this project was that, just like we, how we take out a student loan in the States, those are available to some people in India, but the, um, the interest rates can be upwards of 50%. So for some families, even if you do believe that it's positive for your sister, your daughter, your granddaughter, your niece to go to college, you're looking at, you know, financial ruin by allowing her to go. So I I do think that one long-term impact of our programming will be some shifts in those attitudes. And a lot of the scholars talk about that. They say, yeah, I'm going to go back to my village and show people how great it is that I have this education um and i think some of that will also be financial success when you see oh my my neighbor's daughter went to college and you know we have we have one student who i uh, became friendly with when i was over there mega and she's like yeah i'm gonna build my mom a house and i can guarantee you that when that girl builds her mom a house everyone in the neighborhood is gonna say oh maybe <laughs> maybe sending girls to college is a great idea look at that house so i think there's some macro changes and some micro changes that i hope will impact the value that people see in, in women's
0: education. Um, given the background of these students, what are the typical challenges that they face when they do enter college? So,
1: all of our scholars were really academically successful in high school, but there's definitely, you know, just like we know in the States, there's some executive functioning and organizational skills you need in college that you didn't necessarily have in high school. And there's also a wide range of quality in high school education. So we've certainly had students get to college and say, oh, I'm really unequipped to do the math that they're asking me to do. Or, oh, my English just isn't good enough. And this particular, uh, you know, nursing 101 has a lot of English terms. So there's those challenges that I think any college student could speak to. And one thing we learned was we now budget so that we have some funds in case someone needs extra tutoring because um, initially we we had some girls drop out I mean, and they, you know, the academics are too hard, I miss my family and because of in part just because of how wonderful our ground staff are we haven't had a dropout in two years and overwhelmingly the girls that have dropped out we've been able to bring them back so there's that challenge that I think would resonate with a lot of people in the states. A challenge I hadn't anticipated that I should have anticipated was casteism. Um, when I was last in India in 2015 I went to visit one of the more prestigious older colleges that scholars had gone to. Where we happened to have kind of a cluster, like a lot of girls had gotten in there. And I went to visit this girl in her dorm and she was from, she was from a tribal background, uh, which is obvious because of her last name. And she was roommates with the only other tribal girl that Nanubai had sent to that college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember asking our program manager is like, is that a, coincidence that these two girls are roommates and he's like no a girl from a different caste isn't going to want to share a living space with a student from a tribal background um so that's a challenge for a lot of them is that they will face discrimination when they get to college and there have been you know knock on wood this has not happened to any of our scholars but there have been cases in india of really severe hazing harassment and bullying of lower caste or tribal students when they enter college. So, you know, I, I hope that that doesn't happen to any of them, but as I mentioned before, we have these WhatsApp groups where there's a lot of conversations. So we've been really intentional about trying to build a non Bai community and the non Bai family. And I, I think that knowing that all these people have their back and that they have a lot of emotional support, um, you know will help when not if they face casteism but when they face casteism so that's a huge challenge
0: but not only just like social disparity but also educational quality disparity um how does anybody help scholars catch up to their peers
1: yeah that's a great question um you know i've i've spent a lot of time in some high schools in india and Lots of disparities. so, like I mentioned, we you know realized in hindsight being twenty twenty that tutoring was something they need. So now, rather than like waiting until someone's on the verge of dropping out and then getting them a tutor, we let them know like, hey, if you need help, let us know, and that's something that we can include in the funds that we're giving you to get that tutoring. So I think we're we're nipping a lot of problems in the bud by letting them know that's available. and we also have them send in um, they call it a marks sheet, but it's really a report card. We have them send in their report cards at intervals throughout the year. So we'll kind of, you know, we don't go over them with a fine-tooth comb. We'll sort of look at them and if we see like, oh, somebody's really struggling in this field, then we might reach out and say, Hey, do you, do you need help with this? Like I've personally let scholars know because I was an English teacher for many years, like, Oh, do you need some help with your English homework? Like, let's talk it through over WhatsApp. So I think that's I think that the, the tutoring has been really helpful. But again, the tutoring is less common than you'd think because a lot of these scholars, even if they didn't receive you know, the greatest K-12 education, they're so academically gifted mm-hmm. that they really do do really well when they get to college.
0: That makes sense, yeah. Um, is there any particular story about a non-advised scholar that stands out to you or that you would like to share? Um,
1: I mean, there's, there's, there's so many, it's kind of hard to choose, but I am thinking of one scholar I know, uh, Dinal. And Dinal is from Kadod, which was where our founder Raj Shah's father was from. It's where Nanubai Nayak taught. Uh, you know, we were in Kadod for close to a decade before we had developed our two other offices in slightly larger towns. And Dino was actually my student in eighth grade English. and she was super great she applied for a scholarship she got it uh her father passed away and she dropped out because she just it was just too much you know the academics were a challenge her father had just passed away and our gujarat program manager reached out to her again and again and again and we just kept telling her like no we really think you can do this we really believe in you um and not only did she come back and is in her last year of finishing an accounting program, but her younger sister is now also a non advice scholar. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I remember when, when she had gotten in, she said, I want to inspire my little sister to go to college. And despite some really serious setbacks like Dina and her little sister, both in college. So I I think about them a lot and they're a great story, but there's, you know, there's so many, um, and especially because we do put a little emphasis on girls who are missing one or more parents. I think we have a lot of scholars for whom their college education is really a lifeline. Um, I've had girls say to me, if it hadn't been for Nanubai, I would already be married and have a
0: child by now, so. Um, I know Bai education has produced a lot of nurses in the past. How does that look like in the present, especially in light of like COVID-19 and things like that?
1: So this was kind of a, a bright spot for us when the pandemic hit and everyone was feeling really stressed we have graduated a lot of nurses it's an easily accessible job it's a job that's in really high demand and it's a job that scholars can do without going too far away from their home communities which would be the case if they were in accounting or you know some other trade that wasn't relevant in the small rural villages that they're from and there were a lot of great you know girls would say i helped deliver a baby today and here's a picture of me with this baby i helped deliver and i'm like you're you're a first-year nurse should you be doing that but when COVID hit so many of our scholars our scholar graduates are on the front lines of COVID and we're getting pictures of them and their PPE gear and they're you know sending drawings and a lot of support for nurses has been going around on the group chat so it is a it is an unintended positive consequence of our program that I never anticipated that we're really making a difference in these rural communities which India has some of the worst population to doctor ratios uh, on the planet. And so feeling like in our own little way, we're making those proportions a little better during a time of crisis feels really good. And we're really, really proud of all our graduates, but especially our nurses right now.
0: Awesome, yeah. Yeah. Um, all of these these like, different stories are evidence of like Nanibai's, um amazing success. What do you think are the organizational qualities and structure that have led to this?
1: Well, I, I did put that question to our ground team and we have some clips of them talking about it. And when I did that, I was like, oh, this is what has led to our success. Like we have a pretty flat hierarchy. Like we include people in our decision-making. Um, we're really transparent. That's really important to us, both in terms of like how we choose scholars and what our finances look like and what matters to us um and we're not just asking our ground staff to like share and collaborate and do decision making but we've been really good about interviewing scholars and their families and saying to them hey we're serving you what can we do better so we're always making like you know i talked about the tutoring or you know keeping track of people's livestock as a metric for wealth like we're always making these little tweaks to the organization um And uh, one thing I'm especially proud of is that we have a really progressive HR policy. So it's really important to me that we treat our staff really well, um, because holding on to high quality staff is always a challenge, especially in rural India, where there's just not as big of a hiring pool as there might be in other places. And for example, we have a month of paid family leave, if an employee has a child. Uh, And that's not something that a lot of organizations in the states have. So I'd say, Treating our staff well, being flexible, and soliciting feedback from the groups that we serve, and always thinking of it as like we are here to serve you, we are not helping you. Like you are the authority on your on what you want, and and we want to hear your ideas and thoughts. So, I feel like we have a very positive internal work culture.
0: What do you think, um, listeners, can do today to help support your work or help like volunteer things like that?
1: So you know. Small nonprofit donations are always great. Mm-hmm. Um, our stellar board chair, Anita Patel, recently started a group called the Empower Her Circles, where people are committing to a pretty modest fundraising goal and also uh, hosting events to kind of spread the word about Nanubai. Um, we're always excited to have volunteers come, and we sort of have over the years fallen into a policy of, you know, I always have like a running mental list of what I would like a volunteer to do, but people have been really great about coming to us with their ideas. So if someone's like, wow, not sounds great. And I have this skill and I could do this project, get in touch. Cause I'm always interested to see what, what people can bring to the table in addition to my, you know, mental to do. list. <laughs> like, Oh, I'd really love it if we could interview all the scholars fathers to see how, you know, paternal attitudes towards education shape choices, et cetera, et cetera. Um, obviously those are big time commitments. Not everyone has the bandwidth to to do that sort of thing. So a really simple thing people could do would be to like and follow and share us on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure we can put the socials at the end, but if you just search Nano by Education Foundation, we're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and just spreading the word because even if you're not the person who's in a position to donate or volunteer right now, your cousin's best friend on Facebook might be. So just spreading the word about our work is wonderful way to help.
0: Um, is there any last message you would like to leave for the givology community? Huh?
1: I mean, a huge message of gratitude, like on behalf of myself, our board, our staff, and the scholars. We really would not be where we are without givology, and I think the givology model is is ethical nonprofit work for the new century. Uh, and if I had to pick one thing that I set that sets Nanubai by apart. I've kind of touched on this, but the idea of the dignity of the people we serve, you know, we don't say, hey, we're going to train you to make handicrafts and then sell them at a markup and you're going to make baskets forever. We say to the people we serve, what do you want to do? What career do you want to have to be successful? And, and we facilitate their dreams. And I think that's something really special about our organization. And I, I can't thank Giveology enough for facilitating that.
0: Thank you so much today for taking the time to record this podcast. I think the entire Geobology community can truly learn a lot from like the message and the goals and stories of Nanibai education.
1: Thank you so much, Libby. It was great talking with you.
0: In addition to recording the podcast with Sarah, we've also been given wonderful audio clips from Nanibai's ground staff and volunteers who did their most recent M&E. So continue listening if you want to get a first-hand account, of what it's like to be an integral part of their organization.
2: Respected madam and sir, first of all I would like to say thank you so much to give me this opportunity to tell about it. I have some major factors about that. First, like why is NEF successful? First, we believe in our foundation's core values. Second, our management strength on a grassroots level is very sustainable third we are very planned in monitoring and evaluation for our program fourth we have very good coordination with the team second point is that why have we been able to grow first we are honest about our core cost and ethical missions second our ground team has very experienced qualified and skilled in the main social work sector third we implement a very innovative project on girls education in india especially gujarat and rajasthan religion for, fourth we accept challenge and solve them in a very managed way as well as on the implementation scale. fifth we are very focused on build an internet or social media presence for our program that's why all about we are successful thanking you vikram mali senior project manager rajasthan india take care of yourself and stay home stay safe. thank you again
3: Hi team, respected all, Saramem and Geology team. I am Mitesh from Gujarat, Senior Project Manager of Nanubai Education Foundation. First two, thanks to all. How are you? We know nowadays very critical condition involved, but sure, we will get soon good days. I present to you how successful is Nanobai Education Foundation. First, I want to say what is the key of build success? Teamwork, powerful and enthusiastic leadership, good communication with each and every team member, honesty, good management, weekly team report and update, readiness for work every time, all of these are Point of success, but success comes in a different form each time. If I say success is, success is seen on the face of scholar, seeing whether dreams come true, saying with a smile we are success. You know, Nowadays, many scholars are doing great job as a nurse. So I am saying, in many ways and works, we are successful. I want to say, thanks to Lord Geology Team, your support
4: is Hello everyone, my name is Aditi Sharma and I work as an engineer in a tech company in California. I had the opportunity to volunteer for Nanubhai Education Foundation in the December of 2019 and I must say it was a very special experience. In the interviews that we conducted of past scholars of NEF, we realized the huge impact that the foundation has made in improving the quality of the lives of not just these girls but their families as well. I think this foundation has a very well defined objective with an equally accomplished framework of execution that helps girls in rural areas in India to pursue higher education. A very strong ground team that is personally vested in helping the mission of the foundation who motivate these girls at every step of their education. Apart from that, their agile selection criteria with a very diverse team of that very diverse team that has expertise in the domain of education is a huge plus. And finally, they operate in specific remote regions of Gujarat and Rajasthan. And because of this limited focus, they're highly effective and have established a distinct presence in these regions. I congratulate the entire team for their amazing work and success. Thank you.